Hi there, you're listening to the Venture Builder Map podcast. My name is Andries De Vos. I'm the co-founder of Slash, a Singapore-based venture builder. Every week, I come together with brilliant minds to talk about how venture building is changing the way startups are incubated and corporate innovation is evolving. It's no secret that games are hot and fast becoming the new social media for millennials and younger generations. To help us make sense of the gaming industry and the opportunities for venture building within it, I've invited Rahul Bardwa, the co-founder and CEO of Junkly Games. Junkly Games is a leading game development studio that has seen tremendous success in the last decade, with close to 50 million users across its skill-based games. Prior to Junkly Games, Rahul also built and exited two other tech ventures. He brought Canada's first Microsoft Innovation Center to life and won a prestigious Microsoft Product Award judged by Bill Gates himself. As a product builder and a keen observer of human nature, Rahul brings a wealth of insight into the psychology of entertainment, what works and what doesn't. During our discussion, we went deep into topics of designing risk-reward loops for different game genres, the challenge of policymakers or entrepreneurs to design games for good, how venture-building principles and methodologies have been adopted by game studios for decades, and what opportunities may lie ahead for game studios. Rahul, thanks for joining me today and for being my guide into the world of gaming and game studios. Do you want to maybe kind of unpack a little bit your model, like how much you invest in your own companies? What are kind of the milestones you expect them to hit or not hit, and then you kill them? It's like, how do you, how do you think about your business model? Key marker for us is product market fit. When you have product market fit is, again, depending on your industry, depending on the product or service, a different goal for different types of companies, products, and services. Some want it to be the first 1,000 customers. Some people believe it's one first 1 million in an ARR. Some people believe it's when you can uh, garner investor attention and you're, if you've hit seed or you've hit series A. Uh, but either way, I think what's common across the board is product market fit. Like you have achieved, that's when you this is the time to both cut the umbilical cord, let the baby grow. It's become a person now, right? Let them make their independent decisions, let them go off. And product market fit also lets you see through all of this space. You don't get to product market fit if you if you can't mitigate the challenges you've laid out. Again, really nice list here, my friend. You know, I think it's it's very solid for you to detail it this way, but you're not going to have a product that's successful in, again, you could have false positives, right? Um, so so you wouldn't know that, that you're entirely there, but you kind of believe you do. But regardless, if you've addressed all this, you'll really have more clear traction and, uh, and you've hopefully product market fit drives you past all of this. How much risk do you take on the new venture? Like, for example, in my model, we're looking at between 100 to 200K max USD to get to the product market fit before we cut the umbilical cord. And we have stage gates. Like, we don't do this as a lump sum, right? So we do this with stage gates. So if it doesn't meet a certain stage gate, we can kill it before. And then we then define kind of throughout that those phases, we then define the level of support we can provide and what we expect of the operators, right? What is the equivalent of that in your model? It's the appetite, right? You're, you, you've got um, a 300K appetite, right? Uh, a company with a large, much larger base value will have slightly more. They're willing to put in a million dollars per you know, venture. For us, it's within the same range of 500K to a million dollars. That's not an issue. As long as we really believe both within the team and we've seen this, this is, again, from an operator point of view, right? You have to remember this and I keep bringing it back to that point here. We come from an operator point of view, an operator-led model. So as long as as an operator, we believe this can be done. If I was there, can I drive this? Do I believe in this? Do the metrics look right? Does the team look right? Is it working? Is it operating efficiently? And so on. We do 500K to a million and we'll do six months to a year. So we'll give one year to, to hit that milestone, six months to sort of you know get the 
again, we're in gaming. So six months to get a basic prototype slash alpha out is not very hard, unless, of course, you're doing like a AAA game and you're very deep in the storyline and bit. But going back to our particular vertical of skill games, esports, competition games, competitive games, six months to a year is enough to prove what you're doing is right. And 500K to a million dollars, very reasonable bet to find traction. Again, to be clear, I'm not asking for a million users downloading the game and some crazy, you know, the product market fit is an indicator, remember? So you have to have some confidence in the base number. So maybe it's the first 20,000 users, we can see that their D330 retention is super high. So let's say it's 100%, you know, so 30 days in, no one who has left the game, that's insane. That's entirely like impossible, I'll say that. But if it happens, oh my God, right? Like let's put $10 million in this and uh, and scale this further, I think. So so those those metrics are studied very hard, very carefully, pardon me, um, and worked on in a very key manner and prioritized in order for it to make sense. But those are some base numbers on how, as an operator, you know, we view this model to, to take forward. Are there certain uh, metrics you're looking at before you've burned to 200, the entire 500K that give you an early warning signal that this will not go anywhere? And I'm asking because in the context of gaming, it's extremely hard to predict what will work, right, in the, in the, entertain, in the entertainment industry. Are there things that you say, you know what, after burning 200K, we've already seen certain signals. We either pivot massively right now or we have to kill this directly. Yes, absolutely. Um, it won't be a surprise to you, but I think we have, again, uh, you correctly said this as, as being part of an entertainment industry um, that that's into producing or production. We have similar to what you would see in the movie industry or, or you know, content creation industry um, as checkpoints, starting with our version of a script is, you know, um, a wireframe and, and uh, game design or basic uh, overview of the game. Right. So that's easy. That's an easy checkpoint. You read the script. If you really like it, then you move to stage two, correct? You start casting and all. But in this case, we read the, the game design. Um, we look at the wireframes, look at the, the basic, you know, as much information as much can be provided by the team, the, the individuals that want to build this, uh, including, um, you know, the game economy and uh, what are the hooks, right? I'll summarize it all with like, what's the core loop, right? Is there a core loop? Is there a core loop that makes complete sense? Uh, so that's checkpoint number one. That's easy. That's like, you don't need too much money for that. You just need time and effort. So, okay, you know, you pull someone off a major project and then maybe you lost thirty dollars to $40,000 because they spent the time they wouldn't have spent creating something else of our value. They spent on this. That's fine. That's easy, right? So that's stage one. Stage two, okay, we start working towards the flow of the game and that's where you have what we call an experience checkpoint. So you see what the art would be like, because you don't start on the art until you know the game, right? So even in um, movie making, and I, you know, I'm totally crushing this. And so I'm going to have like some film expert write to me and say, take a course, but I, I, I'll i get some parts of this like, which is storyboard, right? So you'll get like a storyboard done. You're not actually going to go shoot anything until you, I would assume, have a proper storyboard you agree with. So, so in our case, what is that? That's like I said, game flow, wireframes, art, like you start doing the art you look at different art styles and you start to feel the game it's a lot of feeling man like i know people look try to look for scientific ways to produce entertaining content but truthfully the best out there they they all just have a feel for it right before they even have a science behind it if there was a science behind it there would be a formula if there was a formula everyone would be doing it and and be succeeding right but yes there is a generic formula to things we can all agree on this you, you have a lot of action you have a lot of you know physical experiences in the game and tend 
suddenly you're, you know, the game or in movie tends to do really well. We know this, right? So exposed bodies are very attracted, apparently. And so you get an experience and feel. You like the feel, you move to, to stage three. Stage three is where you start to go through a milestone of playables, right? You can get, you start with very easy five minute playables. You get to like, you know, one hour playable. Those are prototypes, right? Alpha is to very basic prototype. So if your playables are, are past the checkpoint, and by the way, we have killed projects along the way. Okay. So this is not like we always see everything to the end. Not only us to pick any, I'm, I'll, I'll pick, in my mind, like I'm, I used to be, I'm not a, a, a large fan of Blizzard today. That's okay. Because I'm also not, you know, 20 year old or 15 year old diehard Starcraft dude. I used to be back in the day. So back in the day, like when I used to follow Blizzard, when I was like, you know, again, 13, 14, whatever, they used to kill projects all the time. Big example, right? So they'd release the fact that, hey, we're working on this, you know, new game, but they never got it out because they were never happy with it. Then they got past art, they got past like what I'm about to get to, which is playable prototype. So you get to playable prototype, but if you don't like it, it's fine. That's it. You got that far. For us, we get there. And then the last checkpoint is, okay, you get, get into, I mean, that's why they call this alpha beta release. So you just get it out there, get it in the hand of users, get that experience back in as many users as possible. And you start studying you know, key core metrics like retention. Retention is very big. Like forget, you know, making money. How long are people playing this? How much are they playing this, right? And uh, there's a very, very interesting story out there. Everyone should YouTube this for League of Legends. Um, you can, I, I forget the title of the video, but they put it out there. I'm talking almost a decade ago, but it's a very interesting way of how League of Legends said they realized that they had stumbled or created whichever word you want to use the perfect core loop for their current or in fact, back in the day for their, their game. Right. And that was literally interns wouldn't stop playing their game. They had interns playing the game and there's a video, uh, but that is the true story. They were, they were playing with different styles, how League of Legends would play out with this massively online battle arena. And they realized interns after work were playing this particular style. And they're like, that's it. If these individuals love it so much people would also pick it up because it's so you know it's so attractive it has a clear loop to them and that's what you're trying to look for right we get it into as many hands of like i said as a last stage get it into the hands of as many people as possible retention is the most important metric then you figure out will they pay you know in any fashion for what's going on maybe they'll only play it because it's free and suddenly when you stack on a price then they're not no longer interested so you kind of see where that that balance sits but retention is much more important than anything else you know and then followed by like depth how soon can they finish the game versus how long can they keep playing the game and depth is very very important because i mean okay like you got someone who's playing it all the time willing to pay for it but it ends in 10 minutes or it ends in an hour or it ends in like five days doesn't matter like did you really then achieve something that's playable further and enjoyable like building a community around it build your friends right like because we all know this it's a very strong um, principle of product development that we all understand which is you know cost for change uh from after you've put a lot of time into a particular product like let's say facebook you spend your entire life you know building up your own facebook profile pictures friends communities groups not as easy for you to move on to another platform and redo the whole thing again, right? So now we are attached to it. And there's so many things we put time into. Gamers love that, right? And so you brought up interoperability, right? That's a huge industry thing today now, because now gamers have caught on to the fact that if I'm going to spend so much time in one particular world, uh, and this is why the metaverse comes into play, I need to take my profile, my experience, my assets, all the 
thousands of hours I put in and move it to another game where it's valued at something and I can continue and my enjoyment is more. So those who provide interoperability are, are you know, obviously have a significant advantage. But coming back to my point, which is like, in order to put a thousand hours, you have to have a game that have, that you can make for a thousand hours, right? So, or, or, or rather that lasts a thousand hours. So depth, depth becomes a big deal. So anyways, we have checkpoints, we have gates. It's very similar to, you know, standard production entertainment industry checkpoints and gates. And it goes down to, I got to say, again, there's no scientific formula. There's some basic things you do right, but the rest of it is honestly feel. You just have to go with your feel and what the user is trying to tell you. That's a very good way to unpack it. Thanks so much, man. That's a very good framework. In the world of like a web or mobile app design, you can create like a wireframes and you can have people play around with a user journey to see if they like it and give you user like usability testing and, and feedback, right? But that's more functional almost. Is there something equivalent for the world of gaming where it's more about the actual fun you're going to experience ultimately with the game? In other words, can people put themselves in a mindset of like the simulation say, I think this could be a fun game or not? Yes, absolutely. That is the method. We can, uh, you know, you have to build your capacity to get to that stage. You're able to do it. We can do it. And we've done it. You know, literally, it will take us two weeks, three weeks to get a prototype, call it, you know, experience game running with just wired, uh, wireframed and, and basic buttons together to simulate the experience we want to have in the game and get a team together. Let's say we pull like all of the QA team, um, you know, for an afternoon and say, for one hour, we want you to sit here and play this this new type of game. Now, yeah, the visuals are not there. The, the capacity to build an experience and point are, of course, not there. But what are you doing? You're just playing that, that action and you're seeing if it will excite you enough to take the next action that occurs after it, right? And so absolutely. But you have to be in a capacity to do that, right? So we're, just, we're a large company with Jungle League Games. It's, it's straightforward for us to for, sort of you know, pull a uh, crack team together to put the, the basics in place and not invest too much. And we have so many different pre-built modules from prior you know, experiences that all get used into building this further and, and, and building a prototype or a basic gameplay experience prototype you know quickly not everyone can do it right like it just takes time it takes time to get to that stage but again short answer to your point yes yeah yeah absolutely and you should do it only that way you would spend you would waste too much time if you try to do too many things right So I guess that brings me to a, a different kind of questions related to venture building. I mean, imagine, you know, you have those stages for game development, for game building, uh, depending on what type of business you're in, you might have more risk or not. I mean, obviously the hardcore has a lot more assets to invest in, uh, hyper casual, a lot more commoditized. And then you, I guess you have to, you have to find a creative angle for each of those. But if today I would say, look, I have $50 million, you know, I want to build 50 games, uh, well, actually I'll, put, I'll make it smaller, $10 million. I want to build hundred games. I want to get at least you know, five winners out of it. So 5% conversion ratio. But I'm also open for an alternative strategy where I have a 10 million, but I want to at least get one proper big winner. How would you structure this? Like you have so much experience in structuring games and building as a studio. How would you structure this? What strategy do you think would be a better strategy for me? Is the strategy of like pray and spray with hyper casual? Is a strategy of going for two, three mid-core games? Uh, is the strategy of doing a roll-up, like buying another studio or two, three other smaller studios so to be able to acquire talent? Is it that I'm looking more for a web tree and I create leverage with tokens and I just use most of my cash to create a hype and pump my token? <laughs> like, you know, what would the strategy be? 
Yeah, I can tell you anything that has short-term upside will have inversely higher amount of risk of failing towards the future, right? So if you like, let's work with web three examples backwards, right? If you decide, oh, I'll do the web three bit. It's very popular right now. Let's just take out a token community to invest in it and, and it'll be quick and we'll raise money. Yeah, you're right. Okay. But then what happens today after the coin drops in value against other cryptocurrencies, which is all happening right now live, right? So, so many studios that decided to jump into that space they've lost their money they've lost the value of their coin they've lost the users there's no you the focus was too much on the tokenization of the economics um of the you know buying and, and in this case playing to earn as opposed to the experience of the games so they're not doing well like no one's you know scaled to the next level yet and you're many there's going to be many deaths uh, many body bags along the way to the actual ones that survive so short-term success is not to be chased as much as possible hence i i would personally advise against unless you're an expert in hyper casual don't go after hyper casual right like as i said again the experience is short-lived people will copy you faster there's going to be a lot more a higher cost of acquisition if you get into marketing because everyone's bidding for the same type of user and once they know you're successful they just look at what you did and especially if it's a mechanic that's already been done before like a runner or a base builder they'll just buy code and just you know slap their name on it it's all been done and we lived through it also by the way again i you know like personal experience with jungly games um, we built strong hyper casuals uh, who were very, you know, uh, the, the experience of our games were a little more detailed, but regardless, we got copied. Like it's simple is what I'm saying, right? We, people saw success and we had to deal with a lot of hyper competition, hyper casual equal hyper competition. What do you really want to particularly try to aim for is mid core. Hardcore is very hard to pull off unless you have, again, I go back to it, a very deep creative side that believes in, in what you want to do. Again, I go back to the, one of the biggest franchises of our to lifetime that was done because the person george lucas had a very deep creative core and hence invested everything he had and wanted to into star wars which no one knew where it was going but the you want deep dude star wars is created an entire universe right but the problem is that's one success against again one more time a lot of body bags on the way of others that couldn't get it going right so many different universes that gave it a shot and people invested everything into those worlds and they've been like try wheel of time on on amazon prime once and you'll see what i mean right it's not it's not it's not happening man it's not gonna happen like let it go Midcore, you you start getting a little bit of the both but you get enough so you start building experience and then you're good enough to take those calls whether you want to go the hardcore from from midcore jump to hardcore and build more depth into something that's been successful and and, and can transition that or you want to make it more hyper casual and focus on um, the better parts of the midcore game that succeeded and, and branch off smaller mini games, right? That will generate more immediate success. Either way, build midcore expertise in today's world because the simple, you know, I think answer to the whole bit is a larger market is uh, playing with a shorter attention span. There are people who are willing to pay play for hours. I'm one of those. I'll still play, you know, a game for hours because it's it's a world I'd love to explore and be in but the larger population of gamers would like short bits of entertainment that i believe is not in the hyper casual world because again like i said the experience just gets diluted but midcore gives you enough experience specifically to go that far 
and then decide how much further. Also, by the way, from a value creation and generation point of view, your risk is mitigated because in hardcore, the investment's higher. And yes, you could get you know a franchise of Star Wars out of it, but I think you understand your chances of success already, right? Like when you're trying that. But with midcore, it's harder, and that's why you have lesser competition. It's harder, and that's why you have to make a game where people actually play. You know, you're not doing it for the money; we're doing it for the mid experience. And hence, once you get product market fit, once you get people playing, and you get that core loop going, you have a very strong attractive value towards you, which means you know you can go anywhere from there. And honestly, hyper casual, like I keep saying, college kids can build a better game than you sometimes, right? So don't don't bother. One of the things that sort of fascinates me is just that the gaming industry is is just massive, and you know the 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 size of it is big. The attention span is is so big. I mean, entertainment in general is growing, but gaming is is becoming almost like this new social social uh, media platform. Besides having fun with games, which is a noble thing to do, we all want to have fun. That still serves only the you know the top two billion people of the world, give or take, right? In terms of demographics, and if you kind of categorize the world into a couple of buckets, it's basically people that have stable internet connection and you know good phones and the luxury of time to spend on on things like games and stuff like that. Is there something that can be done to use games as a tool? If I was given that opportunity, education is the place to start because when you gamify early age of uh, individuals towards the right actions to take for them to build a successful career, build up their experience, build up good habits, you got to get them um, at a stage when they're young and they're rewarded for that action. Okay, so education and ed. Educate, gaming is the place to start. I, I have seen it fail in all other places. Like you said, right? If you gave me a chance to do it, sure, I'll go after education gaming. But as a macro level, I don't see it doing that because you know the reasons where I feel like humankind is, um, you know, we're still primal, man. We're really like, you know, 2000 years of recorded history out of uh, 40,000 years of existence on planet Earth. I mean, we're wired more for primal um, game, right? So food and and other things that can mention in the cast, I guess. But the point is, um, we the, the traction is more on that side. And someone produces that, you just veer towards that. But if you reward, and that's what gamification is, right? You take an action and you get a reward. And I, I, I'm just going to go shout out to my son because someday he might listen to me and say, oh, dad talked about me. So my son, Viraj, I do that with him, right? Like he, he, he does something right. He gets points. He cashes in those points for the right experience that he wants. So what anything, whether he wants to watch a, a, an episode of some, some cartoon or whether he wants to play a game or whether he wants even me to play with him. He's got to have seven points to, for me to play with him. How does he get seven points? Maybe he'll do a two math questions. Each one's worth three points each. And then I'll just throw in a bonus plus one so that he can play. Right. And we could go out and have fun. Right. Right? And some people might say, oh, now you're like, you know, commodifying your, your, your time with your son. Not really, because come on, like I'm going to play with my son if he really wants me to play with him. But what I'm doing is I'm teaching him that he can earn value for the right actions. And if there's a wrong action, like, you know, he doesn't listen when we ask him to go to sleep and it's sleepy time, he loses points and he doesn't get the right thing next day. And honestly, it's working out like gamification works, but it works at an early age. Right. And that's where I think education is the place to go. I could go more in depth into, of course, what's been tried and failed. But I think if you Google it, you'll automatically, whoever's listening, you can hit those case studies on why experiments with getting adults to do this has not happened because I, for the same reason I just said, homo sapiens, our brains are wired towards, you know, our, our, our innate needs. And as a child, you don't have those innate needs. You don't have the, the food and again, beep, beep. You're not looking for that as a child, right? You're looking for just just cuddles, loves, and 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 fun stuff, and that's why gamification works at an early age, but not as adults. 
Man, I hope you don't. I, I agree with you, but I hope you don't set up a religion. <laughs> I am not. I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm not going be, there. It would be sort of a very cynical religion. Uh, but I, I agree with you. Uh, that's that's the that's the the sad bit. It's uh, it's uh, it's true. And education, I think, is a good angle. Just out of curiosity, I know we're running out of time, but just out of curiosity, what's the What's the mechanism you use to then track the points of your son? You know, if that becomes something that that drives rewards uh, or drives behavior in a certain way, you need almost a very simple way for a young child to kind of see those points appear. Like, and you're in a physical world, so you don't have these AR, VR screens appear everywhere. So how do you do that? You just have like a poster somewhere and you, you, you tick boxes or you give them like, like stickers? Or so, so today we start with paper, pencil, whiteboard, uh, chalking it up. He's, he's six years old. So it's very yeah. easy. Like anywhere works for him. Eventually he's going to track. I know he's going to do this. He started a paper, by the way. Right. So eventually he'll become a notebook and it's like, cause he knows I can't cheat him anymore. So he'll say, I have seven <laughs> points. And I know you had five and I'm like, listen, I have a record. Dude, he's learning math, right? Like, this is good. This is good. And he's learning economics. He's learning, you know, how to negotiate. He's learning creativity. Can I, can I, 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 I'm out of time, but I want to tell you this story because this has always stayed with me. Okay. This has always stayed with me for a very, very long time. Captain Kirk went through Starfleet Academy and this is a story I know, but it, you know, if you are in gaming and you're in the, the space of, you know, believing in this metaverses, so this story will, will play really well with you. And one of the hooks of why Star Trek really plays out well, but Captain Kirk's in Starfleet Academy complete, you know, is, is not a failure he's okay he's in captain training but he's not great his whole class has to go through this impossible exam everyone every star trek fan knows this right kobayashi maru it's a complete failure scenario but what does the dude do he games the scenario right he reprograms it so that he can win and that in itself is what i'm trying to gamify for my my own you know child again i want to be clear on this call here i'm not gamifying his entire life he's a kid he can have as much fun and ice cream as he wants but the chance I get small, small snippets in this day, I position him to be creative and getting around bounds, which is gaming, right? Like you hit a challenge and a level and you figure out a creative way around. And Captain Kirk plays that style throughout Star Trek, right? He's always circumventing the circumstances and playing or bending the rules or even bending the universe in this case, right? For him to go through different scenarios and he gained the system and he didn't get, you know, removed from cap. I mean, well, technically he was fired, but then brought back in all that stuff. But still, we get it, right? They put him in a position where he had to be creative and that's what gamification will do. It will make you for the right reward and style. You will be uh, incentivized to be creative. And I think human potential can be really tapped this is where we conclude <laughs> human potential can be really tapped and explode with gamification done right. There is hope. There is hope, Rahul. Maybe that religion is somewhere in the, in the making being baked at the moment. I looked at where the actor of Captain Kirk got us to. He got, it, he got into the stars. Well, at least uh, up there with Jeff Bezos. Rahul, this was a brilliant talk. Thank you so much for your touch of realism and humor. It really helps bring your insights home. Thank you for listening. If you found this discussion valuable and don't want to miss any future episodes, go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, search for the VP Map Podcasts and subscribe.